Wow, how about those SpaceX rockets? That's kidding. <laughs> We're going to start in a few seconds and uh, welcome. Uh, this is kind of the backstage piece and uh, we'll be talking about what's happening next uh, in terms of the world of excellence. Are you ready? All right, here we go. Ready? Three, two, one. We are live. Hello and welcome. Thank you for joining us on a special edition of Disrupt TV. My name is Vala Afshar. I'm the Chief Digital Evangelist at Salesforce and your co-host for the next hour. We welcome you to follow us on Twitter at Disrupt TV Show. Send Ray, myself, and our distinguished guests your questions live using hashtag Disrupt TV. And we'll do our best to answer them live and certainly get back to you after the show. It's my pleasure to introduce my co-host, Ray Wong. He's the CEO and founder of Constellation Research. He's the best-selling author of Disrupting Digital Business and Breaking News. His new book is coming out later this year, Everybody Wants to Rule the World. Ray is a regular television business and technology news contributor on Fox Business, Yahoo Finance, CNBC, Wall Street Journal, and Cheddar. He's also a global sought-after keynote speaker, and in my humble opinion, one of the top features to follow on Twitter at RWANG0. Welcome, Ray, to Disrupt TV. Hey, thanks a lot. Welcome, everybody. My awesome co-host, Bala Afshar. He's one of the top people to follow on Twitter for his inspirational information and insight, followed by CEOs, CMOs, CTOs, CIOs, and all executives around the world. A sought-after speaker as well, speaking at lots of customer events. And more importantly, you can see him on Business Network BNN in Canada. And of course, he's an author himself. But it's not about us. We have a very, very special guest today and a very special episode. Who do we have today, Bala? Uh, Ray, I promised to keep the bio short because uh, the last time uh, Mr. Peters was on our show, we had oh, almost 200,000 views. So our audience is very familiar with, with Tom Peters. But let's talk about how we can focus on excellence after living through 2020, a year which brought us the worst healthcare, economic climate, racial inequality, and large-scale dissemination of misinformation crisis in a lifetime. Tom Peters' answer is to actively engage and to serve our employees, our communities, and our planet to aim for no less than betterment of society and do it with all your heart and your soul and your energy. So when business leaders have conversations about excellence, they most often think of our guest, Tom Peters, and In Search of Excellence, his first book, which was published in 1982, which is widely considered to be one of the most influential management books of all time. Now, over the past 40 years, Tom has traveled to 50 states, 63 countries, presented to over 5 million people, and now comes his 20th book. He's published two books in 2021, an ebook and the book we're going to talk about, Excellence Now, Extreme Humanism. We're here today to learn more about how to be excellent now and why it's most important time for us to think about the learnings of Mr. Tom Peters. Welcome back, Tom, to Disrupt TV. Thanks, Val, very much. Before we, you, you said some wonderful things that I wanna to respond to, but before I do that, I wanna get the practical part done. You and I are going to grill Ray when his book comes out. <laughs> We are, going, we are going to have a Disrupt TV session, and we are going to make Ray, people are going to see the sweat pouring down both sides of the I can't wait. I can't wait. That's a, no, that's now a, I know what this show is about. No, Tom, um, hey, welcome. Welcome so much to the show. Well, it's, it's an absolute delight to, uh, to be with you guys, and uh, assuming that not all of you who are watching us have have read the book which came out two days ago 
it starts off with uh, the ultimate bang. And the ultimate bang is that I twisted Vala's arm so much that you can see the twist marks on his shoulder. And he wrote the forward <laughs> to it. And a lot of it comes from these sessions that the three of us have had over the last couple of years. The, the fundamental deep level of agreement uh, is such that I wanted it launched by somebody I liked. I wanted it launched by somebody I res respected. And I wanted it to be launched by someone who is unassailably in the with it crowd. And Val is a with it kind of guy in general, but it's also, it's also the, the Salesforce idea, ID, you know, because we do talk about extreme humanism and, and people don't normally pair tech and extreme humanism. If anything, they pair it, you know, the, the other way around. So uh, the, the, you, you don't really have to bother reading the rest of the book. It's 300 pages long. Val's part is four pages. I read it. I thought, well, I'm not going to bother with the rest of this. It's a great, it's a great piece of work. I am forever thankful for what you've done. Uh, Thank you, sir. The honor was mine. You know, my, yeah. So, well, let me let me just say one thing. I have to say one other thing before we get to the serious stuff. You're looking at my right hand. I visited my brother-in-law. I'm near Boston. Uh, my wife and I went over on the ferry. He's on Martha's Vineyard. And my, he's got both of his shots plus two weeks. I've got both of mine. I shook his hand. Remember? It was the wow. first, first living hand-to-hand -hand gripping that I have done in 12 months. And we were wow. both shaking. And uh, But it was. You know, it's, it's a, symbolically, actually, you know, there's, if there's not a light at the end of the tunnel, there's a, a glimmer at the end of the tunnel. And, and in a funny way, I, when, when that happened, I said, geez, Alec, this is actually, a silly little handshake is actually, you know, a pretty big deal. But I want to answer your question in the strangest way. So about three hours ago, my wife and I hopped on the ferry from Martha's Vineyard to come back to Woods Hole, Massachusetts, and then come to our place, which is about 40 miles away. And we were driving through Falmouth, Massachusetts, and there's a really terrific bakery in Falmouth. And so we hadn't planned to stop, but we did. And first of all, when we walked in, there was somebody who was walking out in a huff with a kind of a frown on their face, which didn't do a lot for me. And, you know, we looked at what we wanted, somebody gathered it, and I went, I went over to the cashier's box. And the woman at the cashier's box looked up at me, and she almost had that, what do they say, you know, the scared rat or scared mouse or whatever look <laughs> on her face. And I said, what's going on? She said, we have new software. And I said, I know how that feels. I said, please do me a favor. Take your time. My life will not come to an end if it takes you four minutes to do this checkout. And honest to God, and, and you two guys will believe this, she teared up. Oh, yeah. And wow. you know, oh, yeah. all three of wow. us, and you two more than me, know, know what I'm, you know, working with new software is. But it was like, relative this whole message, why, why don't people bother to do that? 
You know, no, you I, humanized I it. Yeah, you know, I, I do find it easy to talk to people, and not everybody does. I, I acknowledge that, but it was just, and that's yeah. not me. That's the essence of the book. Yeah, that's excellence, and that's the essence yeah. of the book. I I actually decided I would use a PowerPoint slide, which is to say an eight and a half by eleven piece of paper with. <laughs> can you read it it says s s slash 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 b can you see that we see the b but if you move it over yeah. to your left a little we can see it yes. yeah there you go yeah. there you go yep anyway yep. that stands for that's one of my favorite equations and it says small is more important than big uh mm. wow life but you know hey tom i wanted to say something yeah. i don't think i've ever told you this but um, in 1984, I think my father came back from a management training session at Wharton. They're doing executive programs. My father was an immigrant that came to the U.S. in the uh, 60s. He became an executive at a company called Air Products and Chemicals. And uh, he came back through with a book. And it was your In Search of Excellence book. And it's the first time I actually read the book uh, was back then. And uh, I was oh telling God. that story to my father. And he was, he, was like, he was like, this book has all the right values a company has to have. Is he, is he and, still and alive, was, Ray? Is he, he, is, alive? he is. He is. He is. Send me his book, or I'll take an in search of excellence off my uh, shelf, and we'll we'll send him a copy of it. I'd love to do that. Wow! I mean, that is no, something, that's. A, and that's how I got introduced to you. And so thank you. Um, but the thing was, it was, it was, he said, look, the values in this book are what values companies should have. Right. Yeah. And it's really about, it's a, something that was lost during the seventies and eighties when, you know, when we, our manufacturing was in trouble, co companies were in different States, management teams were at war with unions and things were all in a mess. And yeah. he's like, this is the values that need to be there. And what you're talking about you now, excellence. Now there's 43 number ones. Let's start there because I mean, you're talking about these actionable number ones, like things that are pulled in through years of leadership, you know, 43 years of leadership research. And I think, you know, that's, that's really one, you know, that's a great framing to start with. So, and, and, and I want to remind our audience how busy Tom has been this year, 2021. So what Ray is referencing is excellence. Now the 43 number ones ebook that came out earlier in the year. And then two days ago, it was excellence. Now extreme humanism, the 20th yeah. publication. So from 1982 to present day, 20 books. Every Less than every two years, Tom publishes a book. <laughs> That's which is just mind-numbing to me. And then he has a six-course online experience called Excellence Now More Than Ever. So it's been an incredibly busy year for you. And I just want our audience to be able to reference the entire body of work that's really been your focus since the start of the pandemic up to two days ago when you launched Excellence Now Extreme Humanism. Yeah. And, and so why did you write Extreme Humanism? I mean, you've got all this coming up and what, what's behind that? So It's not that easy a question hmm. to answer. Um, I live my life with great frustration in a way. Uh, and your father's kind of comment is consistent with that. Uh, my grandfather was very mathematical and I was very mathematical and I uh, didn't know what to do with my life. So I hung out in colleges and have two engineering degrees from Cornell and two business degrees from Stanford. So 
I'm a quant, 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 got it kind of guy with, you know, more whatever than whatever. And I said, my throwaway line is, if you want to be able to understand everything I have written, you have to show me a signed graduation certificate from the fourth grade. Uh, you know, there is literally nothing that we are talking. Well, it's like this thing and, you know, Elon Musk's a fine guy, but whatever. Somebody said on Twitter, and I use Twitter a lot as these two guys, as you two guys do. Uh, and somebody said, you know, Elon Musk is one of the two greatest human beings on earth. And I responded and I said, listen, I admire Elon Musk. If you don't, you're an idiot. I admire him almost as much as I admire a truly committed third grade teacher who has the opportunity to dramatically change 25 lives every year and has done so for the last 25 years. And I really meant it. You know, that was in no way, shape or form a, a, a throwaway line. And uh, so I just, I, I, my, my, my point, it's it just frustration. Uh, you know, 43 years, the same message. I said, listen, I'm greedy. I'd absolutely love to have the royalties from you buying this new book. Uh, but the real reality, I've said the same damn thing in each of the 20 books. And, you know, I'm going to hit you one more time with the, with the same deal. And, and it's, it's just, uh, it's, you know, I'm not, I'm not exactly a child. I'm 78 now. And I really just wanted to pull this stuff together one more time. And both the ebook uh, and the, uh, you know, the, uh, the extreme humanism book are, are shorter than my typical efforts to, to just say it one more time, you know, be, be, I, I read this great article just a couple of days ago. Now it came out of a, a book that's called kindness in leadership. And it's a collection of articles. Okay. Well, that's great. And they're the articles from business and so on. But the one I loved was an article written by a guy who is an Olympic level swimmer, has won Olympic medals in swimming, and is an Olympic level coach. And, you know, when you think, I don't know what goes through your heads, but when you think of coaching, and maybe it's because of too much of the National Football League and hanging out with the San Francisco 49ers or what have you, you think of, think of terms like hard ass, you know, tough. And, and, and this, this guy was saying, listen, if you want to develop players, I don't care whether it's Olympic level swimmers or, you know, uh, tight ends on professional football teams, the way to do it is with, is with decency and thoughtfulness. You know, players get into troughs and you know, just encouraging people and and so on. And, and and why is this, why is it so hard? I mean, I just wrote something in the Financial Times that says secret number one, close all the business schools, which, you know, was <laughs> a little bit of hyperbole. Um, but but I just had to say it one more time, Ray. That's, you know, that's all. Uh, yeah. And I, I don't know, I'm standing, sitting here and I'm, you know, my, my frustration level is nearly infinite. Be, be, yeah, I, mean, I two times in two days, which triggered it with this. I, I told you the experience with, uh, you know, that I had in the bakery. And yesterday, for a whole bunch of complicated reasons that none of our viewers are interested in, I 
you had to do something at the, uh, as we call it in Massachusetts, registry of motor vehicles. And I went down there and there was a god awful mess and people were behind schedule. And so I got chatting with the, with the uniformed guy at the door and we were chatting about this, that and the other and people with short tempers and so on. A, he didn't know who I was and B, I wasn't doing anything that wasn't anything more than normal. The guy, I had, I had this problem. The guy disappears for 10 minutes. He finds somebody inside the office who knows what the problem is all about. He, before I told him two sentences, he comes out and he said, I think we got this thing fixed for you. I mean, all I did was be decent to somebody who was under stress. And, wow. and, and you know, it wasn't 20 minutes and it wasn't uh, Machiavellian. It was just, I'm looking at this guy and excuse my language, people are beating the shit out of him because some problems took too long to, to, to get solved. And so your 1120 prescribed appointment has now slipped. And he has to tell you that maybe 25 minutes and we'll you know, go back to your car and we'll text you and so on. And pe you know, people are fundamentally, at the least they're giving him a scowl and at the most they're treating him like shit. And they're probably, <laughs> I just, I don't, it's, it, it, it's stupid. We, I, I gave a speech years ago. It was I'm a Cornell alumni, and they invited me to come back and, and give a speech. And in the speech, I revealed, given my advanced mathematical training, uh, we, we people like that all, all speak in equations, was my equation was K equals R equals P. And it stands for kindness equals repeat business equals profit and wow. you know one absolutely. really important thing with both of you guys who are absolutely totally engaged in the heart of tech world is this stuff is just as important or 10 times more important than for example salesforce world than it ever has been before and uh for sure for sure and, and, and the other part of it speaking is that well most important thing I've read in years and years and years, other than Dallas forward to my book, uh, the New York Times columnist <laughs> David Brooks wrote a little op-ed and, oh God, I just love this so much. He distinguished between what he called resume virtues and eulogy mm. virtues. And the resume <laughs> virtue is you graduated from Stanford with a 4.2 grade point average. You went to work for Google. You were promoted six times in six years. Da, 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 da. Uh, those are resume virtues. Eulogy virtues are, to state the obvious, uh, what do people say about you at your funeral? Uh, and they do not talk about your 4.2 grade point average. They do not talk about your six promotions. Years ago, I think it's still somewhere in a deck, I had this PowerPoint slide and it had a tombstone. And on the tombstone was 11,273,916 dollars and eight cents, which was the net worth of the buried person at close of market on the day they died. And my point is, ain't never seen a tombstone with somebody's net worth on it, you know? And, no. and, and no. it's, you, and, you know, my practical question to everybody here who's watching us is, how you, how's your eulogy virtue score doing today, my friend? 
Um, yeah. And yeah. it is all little stuff. It's all it's all the tiny marks of 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 caring. You know, Val and I are getting well. We aren't working in offices, but we're getting past a a cold New England winter. And and I said, excellence is on a cold morning, given old office days, stopping at a florist near the office, picking up a bunch of flowers and sticking them on the receptionist's desk when you walked in. Walk. I, yeah, no. I love that. No, it's like, it's like paying a Ford too. It's a, uh, yeah. And, and that's throughout the, throughout the body of work, you know, all 20 books, your lessons, your videos, your presence on Twitter. It's, it's exquisite how you find these examples, uh, small, medium and large examples of excellence. And I want our audience to just have a little bit of a perspective in terms of, you know, ideas can come from anywhere. So it's 1977. You just got your doctorate from Stanford Graduate Business School. You're 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 working at McKinsey, and your boss tells you that in 24-hour notice that tomorrow you're going to give a big presentation on advanced research and what we should be thinking about and the direction of our consultancy firm with 24-hour notice. So that night you go to the San Francisco Ballet, and it moves you. You watch these performers. And at the end of the show, all you can think about is excellence. The word excellence was rooted in that ballet performance. So that night you come back from the ballet and you think about what you're gonna present. And the next day, one word, excellence, is how you present asking the audience, why can't businesses be like ballet performance where every movement, every motion, everything is excellent. And 43 years later, 20 books, 5 million presentations, it was rooted in that experience. And, and I, you know, you, you talk about management by walking around. You talk about investing in training so you can have more autonomy and more flexibility and empowerment. You talk about middle managers being really the heart and soul of your company. Have you been hinting to us for 20 years through 20 books and more that it's not about orchestration and center of authority. It's about choreography. Because when you have well-trained staff, when you have autonomy, when you have a good culture, when your managers are actually coaches and on the field, not in their corner office, just delegating, you create an environment just like a beautiful ballet where things are choreographed to add yeah. value to stakeholders. Is that, I mean, I, you know, again, am I, I'm, I'm, it, that's my takeaway of your body of work. It's choreography, not you orchestration. Yeah, well, no, I, I'm, I'm glad <laughs> because when I describe your work, that's how I describe it. I say Tom has taught me the power of choreography. Well, listen, I'm going to I'm going to say make a strange response partially first, and and then get into it. So uh, there's an old guys walking group uh, near where I live, and we're all great buddies. And one of the guys is a physicist, and he was involved with for years and years. Uh, photogrammetric interpretation uh, at the CIA with the U-2 and the SR-71 and all that sort of thing. And so we got to talking about that. And I don't know where the thing twisted, but he said, and I was talking about something not un unrelated to what you're saying. He said, he said, you know who you sound like? You sound like blank. I don't remember who the guy's name was, but he was a wildly successful guy in the CIA world. And, you know, he said, Blank would always insisted that every one of his project teams had at least one musician on it. And I love that. He said, you know, the musician just looks at the world in a different way than somebody who sat down and started 
coding at the age of, of six months. And it, and it is, I mean, I, I'm a hard-nosed engineer, you know, I dream in third order differential equations. Uh, well, well, Matt, is, I mean, it's a perfect thing. Uh, I have a friend who used to be the, uh, the head of the head of the math department at Harvard, and he won that. There's, there's not a Nobel in math, but there's a, a something else. Maybe you guys remembered a, a blank prize. Uh, but at any rate, you don't win a prize in mathematics you get a field for medal, solving yeah. a difficult problem. You win a prize for solving it in a way that is considered beautiful. Yep. And my remark is a literal remark, not a figurative remark. Uh, you know, there's some incredible thing or whatever, and I solve it and get the answer. And I've got 93 pages with all sorts of scrawls on it. And Ray looks at it and, you know, and he said, good job. Nice expenditure of two years, but just not beautiful. And no, no, it's, it's like a Fields Medal. You get every four years. It's it beautiful. Field, 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 field. Yeah. That's exactly what I was yeah. going to speak about. Yeah. Absolutely, it's it's like it's like a Field Medal, uh, and and yeah, that experience with the SF Ballet was was really transformative. I and I'm not musical. I I am really an engineer, and but I I was just moved by it and. And, you know, I, you know, thinking of where Ray is, uh, and I think this is related. Uh, I lived a few blocks away in the olden days, Ray, uh, from Bill Walsh, who was the coach of the San Francisco 49ers, Hall yeah. of Fame, da, 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 da. Sure. And it was so fascinating. I was at a nonprofit thing and I was sitting next to, to Bill and it don't my memory of sports statistics is not what it used to be uh but there was a nfl draft and peyton manning had gone i think really high but ryan leaf had gone even higher and then he flunked <laughs> out after about a year i don't remember the yeah. drug problems or whatever it was or what have you and of course then peyton manning went on to the heavens and i said to bill I said, Jesus, you guys are supposed to be the smartest human beings on earth uh, at picking people. How the hell come did people get so excited about Ryan Leaf? And Bill looked at me and he said they were more, he said they focused too much on arm strength and not enough on character. And it was like, boom, wow. you know, wow. the biggest flash of lightning in, in the world went off. And, you know, in those days, Joe Montana, uh, who, walks on water as far as I'm concerned, still does, bad, bad, bad neck after having been hit a lot of times. But Joe Montana, I think, had a not totally perfectly perfect record at Notre Dame, but there was some point when Notre Dame was down 29 to 3 and he beat SMU in the last couple of minutes, and it was all character. And Jerry Rice, who's, of course, also Hall of Fame, Jerry Rice went to a school in Mississippi with about six people that's not on anybody's radar, but Jerry, you know, Jerry was an artist and it yeah, is that, and you know, I'm, I'm not a, not a very religious person, but, and I was surprised when I wrote this in the, in the, in the current book, Val, because I don't use words like that. I said, excellence is actually spiritual and it's lowercase s. It has nothing to do with whether you went to church or didn't, you know, as I've always said, this stuff absolutely applies as much to atheists as it does to 
people who go to mass seven days a week at 7 a.m. But, but leadership is about caring. Leadership is about people. Leadership is about art. Leadership is about, it's, it's magic, but not unattainable. No, you do a great job talking about digital artisans, right? Really the need for left brain, right brain thinking. You're bringing that piece. Uh, you're humanizing digital in the conversation, humanizing technology. One of the things that we've been missing as well. Um, and, and one of the things that I've always admired in, in the books, and you do repeat this all the time, but I think people keep forgetting about it, given our short-term culture, is whether excellent is a long-term plan, right? And uh, we should talk a little bit about that because that long-term thinking that is, is, is just missing. We're missing long-term thinking. We're missing systems thinking. And, uh, you know, let's talk about, you know, what, what that means uh, as, as part of the book. Well, my excellence thing, and I, I really think the humanism dimension is all important. And I think we ended up, which actually my designer did, with a, with a terrific title with this extreme humanism. But the title that my not so compelling title was going to be excellence is the next five minutes and yes. excellence is the next touch and the next little act. And I really, I don't know whether, whether we're in total agreement on this or not, Ray. Uh, I think strategy and vision and purpose is something you discover, not something that you, write down somewhere after having had a long intellectual thought about the marketplace. You know, the, my chapter on innovation or one of the items on innovation is what I call WTTMSW, which stands for whoever tries the most stuff wins. Uh, and, and it's, yeah, you, you keep doing stuff and it's like, oh my God, look, that worked. Oh my God, that was the stupidest damn thing, you know, in, in the world. Um, but I also love it, and this is really important language, and it's important in tech, and it's important everywhere. Uh, my pal, Michael Schrag, who teaches at MIT, who's an innovation guru, wrote an entire book, and it's one of my favorite book titles that exists. The, the title of the book is Serious Play. And he says the essence of innovation or the essence of vision or the essence of strategy is you mess around and you messed around and you hook this converse, this next to that and so on and so forth. And it, and it is play, it's playfulness and it's appreciation of playfulness. Uh, but it's serious because, you know, this, this is life itself. Uh, yes. You know, I'm 78 and I never had a plan. Uh, but so. <laughs> Says the guy who writes the new book every two years for the last 40 years. <laughs> My, my one comment that I will say about that, Val, in my own behalf, not bad for an engineer. Not <laughs> That's no, untouchable. Read, not bad. I don't know anyone. I've read a lot of kids, and honest to God, with all due respect to my beloved friends at Cornell University, after five years of engineering at Cornell, I could not write an articulate sentence. You know, that, that was gone. You know, uh, let me... Let me say something about that um, because I think it's tied to this and I, I think I mentioned it in the book. Uh, I loved Cornell and I'm delighted to have the education, but my parents had no money 
and I gave a speech that I think I mentioned earlier at Cornell, and I said, I come before you, I said, you may think of me as a business guy, but I come to, before you today as a socialist. <laughs> and I'm a socialist because every penny of my tuition was paid by the United States Navy. So if that doesn't make you a socialist, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know what the hell does. But here's the, that's the cute story and the good news story. So I go to Cornell, I get this incredible technical education for which I am still grateful, even though I don't use it. The Navy did pay my way through. Uh, near the end of my school tenure, the Vietnam mess started. Uh, since I was a civil engineer and a Navy guy, I ended up with this group of combat engineers in the Navy called the Seabees. Uh, and so in April, of 1966, the C-141 in which I was riding lands in Da Nang, Vietnam. We are given live ammunition. Uh, and as of the next morning, I'm in charge because I'm an officer, Navy ensign, useless human being, but nonetheless, I am legally in charge of a project team of 10 people, okay? The real reality is for any military people who are watching, it's the sergeants who run the army and it's the chief petty officers who run the Navy and nothing is less interesting than a junior officer. Uh, I used to say to people, I always rode in the front Jeep in convoys and put my chief in the back because if you kill an ensign, it's no big deal. You kill a, a chief petty officer and the world comes <laughs> you're to You're in trouble. And you're in trouble, but, but at any rate, I did something really intemperate. So I go through a nine month deployment in Vietnam and the way we did it, nine over four home, nine back. And I went to Cornell and I'm not proud of this because I do have a, a temper. And I went to Cornell and I stormed into the Dean's office. And I know this is not entirely family TV, but I will not use the language. Uh, and I said <laughs> to the Dean, I looked, I went, I almost stormed into his office. And I said, you really effed me over. I mm. said, you gave me the greatest technical education in the world. And then on that morning in Vietnam, legally speaking, I was responsible for the lives of a dozen sailors who technically speaking reported to me. And I said, my, my leadership training coming out of five bloody years, five and a half bloody years of engineering training at Cornell was zero and i said you screwed me and 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 it was you know it, it was real it was real honest to gosh fury that we hadn't paid any attention to those kind of things in any way shape or form and i don't envy the deans because we did have some classes in english and psychology and we were engineers and we knew that we were the smartest people on earth and we were the most arrogant bastards who ever walked the face of the earth. We thought MIT was a half decent school, but we were Cornell you know, engineers. And so we weren't exactly <laughs> excited by those psych courses, but it's, it's just, and I'm argue, I argue to this day that, you know, we, we need, we need to hire empathetic people. We need to promote empathetic people. We need to, yeah. Train the living dickens out of people on the people stuff. It's it's all about people. You know, there was a Absolutely. Facebook is always in trouble. And in my opinion, it's <laughs> well deserved. 
uh, Emily Chang, I think it was, who wrote that horrifying yeah. book about Silicon Valley, Ray, that I'm sure everybody Bro has culture. a copy of called Brotopia. Yeah. Brotopia uh, but yep. One yeah. thing she said, and I really focus a lot on women and leadership, she said, if Facebook had had 30 or 40 percent of their code written by women, it yeah. probably wouldn't have had the same stench as what seems to have come out of the IQ 400 overpaid 24 year old Stanford engineering graduate. I can say things like that because I have a Stanford degree. So <laughs> I, I can say any damn thing. I, I mean, I love my time at Stanford. And I, adored it. Uh, I, well, I, Tom, I think about, I think about I your, um, awful to that team, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think, I think about the 40 years and again, your, your books and your lectures and you advising business leaders throughout that period. If I break it into two halves, the first half, you know, certainly the, 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 the web in 1993 launched the internet industry, the most valuable companies in the world, like you just mentioned, an example, are, are internet companies. So from 82, from your first book to 2000, really, in my opinion, that was the, perhaps the most impactful. From 2000 to present day though, we had uh, cloud computing, uh, we had social networks, we had smart devices, which meant everybody had a supercomputer in their pocket now. And we had internet of things where thing, any, any device is not connected to the internet and now artificial intelligence. So what I love about your Twitter stream is you are still an engineer in terms of the richness of what you share, talking about the importance of ethics, talking about the importance of design, talking about the importance of biases over 150 that plague us as human beings. And so you talk about design as a soul. You talk about design, who you are, design serving humanity. I know you got a fancy new car and it seems like the trunk door is giving you maybe some <laughs> trouble. So even a car that you love, uh, you know, I won't name the brand, is it, not quite designed to keep you safe when you're taking groceries out. Uh, uh, so, so can you talk to us about this incredible velocity of innovation with machine learning and AI and quantum computing and additive manufacturing. And I see you read and share about all of these topics and the importance of, again, going back to these, what you keep saying are simple things, but they're not, uh, you know, excellence in design can make or break your company, can make or break your organization, can make or break your own career. Uh, talk to us about the importance of design, which you emphasize strongly in your book. Yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to do it in, in two ways. And, you know, you guys are infinitely younger than I am, but you're not babies either. Uh, <laughs> given the continued revolutionary nature of technology change, uh, I have absolutely, and this is not just because I'm an incredibly old person, I have absolutely no idea what the hell the word, world's going to look like 30 years from now. But what By I the way, Tom was, on Club, Tom was on Clubhouse a couple of days ago. So... Don't let him kid you. He's the most advanced bleeding edge guy I know. He's going to tell you he's 78, but he was on Clubhouse, Ray. So he's trending on social just, audio. Yeah, yeah. Right. So, you know, I, 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 you know he's, he's a different, he's in a, he's in a different league. But okay, yeah, but go ahead. I, we'll, I, we'll go along with the story that you're not up right, to tech. Right. <laughs> uh, okay, I, I don't remember what the hell my, my train of thought was. Let's go back to design. Um, I, you, you did a quote that I think was from
from me, and it's one that I stole from the former Apple design chief, Johnny Ive. And Johnny said at one point, we hope that the products we make can in some small way make humanity just a little bit better. Wow. And, and to me, Vala and Ray, and I don't really know the demographic of, of who's watching us, but probably I can guess a little bit. But, and this kind of goes back to something I said in the beginning. So years ago, I had a house in Woodside, California, and my ex-wife and I were doing a major uh, renovation, and there was a contractor who we were interviewing. And so the contractor was, was going to come by the house at 11 o'clock uh, one morning. And I think I was out front or something like that. And at 10.50, there was a you know little green hedge or something like that. 10.50, I hear what sounds like a pickup truck. And then, the, then there's no sound. Uh, and at 10.59, I hear the truck start again. And the driver drives around the corner and drives into our driveway. And the truck didn't have a speck of dust on it. And he was not wearing a McKinsey black suit, but he looked well put together. And he made 98% of his sale by showing up at 10.59.59 in a truck that was clean. Uh, and that to me is design as much as the stuff that Johnny Ive yeah. and Mr. Jobs yeah. were doing at Apple. And there's, there's another key word, incidentally, that's, that's tied into that. And I'd love you guys to comment on it because you're closer to this than I am. Uh, when Steve Jobs died, and I saw this over and over again, and I think some people use the direct language, they said Steve Jobs was our colleagues who are watching us need to listen to my language carefully here. Steve Jobs was not an inventor. He was a tinkerer. You know, we had BlackBerry long before we had the iPhone or before the Apple II, we had some of the whatever. And he just, he just did it and did it and did it and had this. And, and the other part of it, which I really love about Steve, and I'm not sure... I don't like Steve as a human being. Anybody who does is crazy, but that's a different story for a different conversation. <laughs> I watched him misbehave toward his fellow human beings uh, upon occasion, and now I've forgotten what the first part of my comment was going to be. Uh, it was really profound, but it got lost in the shuffle when I went off on Steve's, <laughs> Steve's other thing. Uh, but you, you were, you were, you're talking about the, the fact that design, right? We suddenly cared about design and design suddenly was all about tech, but you're right. Design is by design. It's not just about tech. It's how we interact with each other, right? And the first thing that's that's the the essence of it. And yeah. that was Steve's thing, damn it. Despite my criticism, it was, you know, it was, it was intuitive design, which is a term I hate by the way, but the notion of it, mainly because it's been cheapened because everybody uses it. People who can't even spell the word intuitive, but it was, we weren't supposed to have to work. It was, it was supposed to enter the, the design was supposed to introduce itself to us. It was and, natural. And, it was ambient. It showed up. I, what, what, I mean, I, 
design is design is on my top five list. You know, kindness equals repeat business. You know, equals profit and so on. Design, design. But the important point is, damn it, if we're talking about a sizable corporation, it is exactly as important to the HR person who is designing a training course for middle managers as it is to bloody Johnny Ives or whoever his successor is, you know, for Tim Cook at Apple. Same, same. No difference and, and, whatsoever. And, and, and your good design also lends itself to good design is also inclusive, right? That's one of your big points as well. So Yeah, no, absolutely. Because I think when we think of good design, we think of things that are incredibly expensive and things that are incredibly precious. And something, I mean, I, I'm just not, I don't have that music degree. But to all of our people who are watching us, and probably because of the two of you guys, it's a little tech tilted. Put a music major or theater major on your project team and you do it, please. I'm saying this as kindly as I can. You effing well do it before the end of the week. Okay. Uh, but, I love that. I love yeah, that. It's, it's just people with, people makes with sense. incredibly different perspectives. I'm not musical at all, and but I know what I'm missing. And... And, be, and it really is true that the musician looks at the world very differently than Tom Peters' grandson of a civil engineer who became a civil engineer and built bridges for the first couple of years of his life. Uh, and, and, and diversity is beauty in, in, every, in every single sense of the word. Uh, you know, and maybe this hits home a little have more closely for you, Ray, than 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 either Vala or I. I've had a really I'm almost tearing up. I've had a really hard time. Uh, everything ever since the George Floyd thing, and of course from George Floyd to Atlanta forty eight hours ago. I was involved in the civil rights movement back in the 60s uh not not some great leader but i was involved uh and i actually when i went to stanford even though i was taking a very challenging business school course i i actually designed and taught the first course on what was called then affirmative action at stanford so i was i i've been part of the act and and i'm a white guy in case you haven't figured it out. Uh, and I thought that when we did the Civil Rights Act in the 60s, and I grew up in Annapolis, Maryland, and Annapolis, Maryland in the 50s kept dead flat even with Alabama and Mississippi in terms of our segregationist policies and language, I might add. But I thought we kind of nailed it in the 60s, uh, where we made a giant step forward. And relative to our Asian brothers and sisters, our Hispanic brothers and sisters, our African-American brothers and sisters, our Muslim brothers and sisters, I've just had a hard time in the last few months in realizing how far we still have to go and how bad we are. And I want to wake up some damn morning without hearing about another Atlanta story. And, and what I'm asking everybody who is watching us is on the issue of equality, put it on your agenda. 
every day for the rest of your life. And if there is a 23-year-old graduate of Georgia Tech watching us, I'm talking to that graduate as much as I am to the person who founded a business two years ago or somebody who is watching us who's an executive vice president of a, of a giant company. Uh, this is not nice to do. It's, it, it's obviously all part of the humanism message. But I mean, I am so distressed at how little I know. Do. I really am. I'm appalled. I'm sick. I'm nauseated. I'm pissed off at myself. I could stand here and beat myself in the head for the rest of this conversation or the day. Uh, and I and I had a conversation with somebody who should remain nameless actually at, at dinner last night and who had a big career at a big company. And we were talking about women in senior leadership positions. And he's really smart. And I really like him. But he was saying how difficult, how many more women there are now in middle management jobs, but how difficult it is to fill the top slots. And I'm afraid because it was a social setting that I kind of lost it. And I said, listen, I ain't interested in your story. There are incredible numbers of senior, talented women doing everything, everywhere. I said, you effing find them. I said, yeah. that's your job. Find them. And years yeah. and years ago, I did a little bit of work with Deloitte and Touche. And Deloitte was upset that they didn't have enough women in partner positions or senior partner positions. And they did this wonderful thing. They started an advisory board, which usually might mean crap. But their advisory board was chaired by a woman by the name of Lynn Martin, who had been the labor secretary for either HW, GHW or W. Bush. Uh, and it was a no screw around deal. I mean, you know, she took them to task. They started this thing called the uh, Women's Initiative Annual Report, which Deloitte made public so all of us could see how we're doing. And, and, and I, I have zero tolerance for somebody who says, you know, we just can't find people to fill the slots. Well, look until you do. And among other things, we have yep. 11 or 12 million women-owned businesses, and 20% of them have got yep. over 150 employees. So we've got several million women entrepreneurs with sizable businesses to, to deal with. Find them, damn it. Just find them. That's the essence. That's the essence of searching for excellence. You have to have grit. You have to have persistence. You have to have optimism. You have to have a big. It is a difficult pursuit, but perhaps the most rewarding pursuit you can have. And I'm telling you, I I, I agree with you in terms of I'm an immigrant refugee myself, so I I I I I have the same emotion and the same feelings as you describe, and that's why your book right now matters so much because. When I feel down, when I feel less optimistic as I need to be, I flip to your book and I look at the seven commandments of leadership and it reminds me, be kind, be caring, be patient, be forgiving, be present, be positive and walk in other person's shoe. And that simple seven point reminder puts me in the right place. So I just want to let you know that um, as much as you don't think you know, you know, because you're guiding millions of people, including myself, to find a better place when I get distracted or 
I drift away from my core values and guiding principles. And that's why the book today, now more than ever, matters so much. It's Sorry, evergreen. Ray, that wasn't a question. Oh, no, no, just it's, comments. It's, it's evergreen. And, and Tom, I would like to say there's actually more hope than you realize. I, my kids don't see race. A lot of people in their generation don't see race. I think they think the adults are making a much bigger deal than they are, and, and they don't see the race, and they, they see that. And, and I, I look back to, you know, when, when I applied to medical school in high school in the 80s, it was 70% male, 30% female. Today, it's 60% female, 40% yeah. male. It does take time, but, but people are doing it, and people have yeah, actually yeah, made I, those strides. Yeah, so. I don't have the experience that you and Ray, sorry, you and Vala do with the kids, but that's what I've heard, that really there is a difference and, and maybe, maybe a significant difference. And maybe, you know, maybe, 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 maybe one, one does have hope in, 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 in that direction. Uh, we will, we will hope and we will pray that, that, that that's the case. So Tom, you, so. you wrote so. in the book, this is a summa. It's your last hurrah. So, and <laughs> Las Vegas done. odds are against that, by the way. I'm against that. Yeah, I don't know. I don't want to yes. bet there. <laughs> I just checked with my book here earlier this morning and he said, no, there's no chance this is his last book. But okay, well, <laughs> well but it gives us a chance to talk about your training, your focus on training, the hundreds of videos you've created. Can you, sorry, Ray, to hijack your question, but if this is indeed your last book, which again, Las Vegas odds are pointing to, to different direction, what are you focusing on the next 10, 20 years? Uh, I know there's so much energy is going into your training, uh, which is, I think, wonderful. Well, there are two or three different things that, that, that come out of that. Uh, number one is a practical answer to a question that was implied. I call in the book, it's one of those number ones that uh, Ray or you were, were pointing to, I call training the number one capital investment that a company can make. And I deeply, deeply, deeply believe that. I believe that the chief training officer should be up there on executive row uh, in the sizable company. And when people say, you know, training is, is a nice to do, or yeah, we believe in training. My, my comment is always, uh, if you don't believe training is a great strategic necessity, I'll send you some phone numbers. One of them is the four-star admiral who runs the Navy. One is the four-star general who runs the Army or the United States Marine Corps. One of them is the operator of a nuclear power plant somewhere in the United States or France or wherever it might be. Another one is a police chief. Another one is a fire chief. Another one is a, uh, is a theater director. Don't give me that training is a nicety. In all of the things that are most important in our lives, uh, training, 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 training. I do want to see, you know, I want the CTO, with all due respect to both of you guys and your technology background, I want the CTO to be the chief training officer. You know, chief technology <laughs> officer, lowercase t. I love that. Capital T, chief training officer. And Sometimes the chief translation officer. And you know, the, the other <laughs> part that. of it, damn it, is if spending money on research and development to find the miracle drug, and God bless the pharmaceutical companies for having done so, if that's a capital expense, 
than training Vala and Ray and Tom age 28 or new managers age 31. That is a capital expense, damn it. And, you know, and I'm, I'm just sort of viciously determined uh, on that dimension. Uh, what was the second half of the question? I got myself off track, Vala. Is, is that where you're going to focus your time and energy oh, moving yeah. forward? No, if yes, indeed I, this is your last book. Well, I'm working on a just born, half born, not whatever. I told you that personal story about getting out of college and being responsible for people in a, in a, in a troublesome yeah. combat situation. Uh, I really want to focus on redesigning, maybe too big a word, redesigning, reforming, reorienting professional education. And there, there's a big three. And the big three are business education, engineering education, and medicine. Those three. Uh, you have been so kind in your forward, Vala, and in both of your guys' remarks about my book. I am now going to tell everybody the book they should really buy. <laughs> it's called oh, no. Compassionomics. Compassionomics. And it's the most horrible oh. word you've ever heard, which is why it's so perfect. It is oh, written by Anthony. two MD researchers. And my dissertation was guided by a guy who I adored, but he defined hard-nosed researchers. These guys are hyper hard-nosed researchers. And compassion is a wonderful thing, and compassion gets you heaven into heaven instead of hell and all those sorts of things, but it also works. It also works. Uh, he, everything in this book is unchallengeable in terms of the quality of the research that's done, but and I can't give you the whole buildup because it takes about a half a chapter, but 37 seconds changes the world. Now, what does that mean? What it means, and they measured it this way and that, and if you read the book, you'll be convinced it was legit. If a doctor talking to a cancer patient has... 37, they initially start off with 40, got it down to 37, has, if I, I'm, and I'm where I am now, staring at Vala, 37 seconds of direct eye contact, reduces hospitalization by 25%, reduces adverse side effects by 20%, and, and just numbers that are not believable, uh, but they are believable. And, you know, I remember reading this thing in the in the uh, in the Boston Globe a couple of years ago. And, uh, you know, both Vala and I are within rock throwing distance of Mass General Hospital, MGH, which is, you know, on everybody's top five list. Anyway, MGH did a study. And over the last I think it's 10 years, eye contact between nurses and patients has gone down 70 percent. And part of it is the mis misuse of the technology that all of us believe in. 
The nurse now comes to your bedside and she's holding a he slash she is holding a tablet and entering data in the tablet. And unless you're God, you're not one of those people who can enter the data and look you in the eye at the same time. And, and, and again, like the compassionomic things, the, the, the value of eye contact, measurable, dollars and cents, uh, shortened stays, less complication, better health, less death. I mean, less death and a better balance sheet. You know, don't get much better than that, if you will, organizationally. But this book is just, and I don't think it's a, you know, we're, we're doing maybe a little bit of stuff with, with one of the one of the co-authors. It has everything to do with healthcare and nothing to do with healthcare. It, it applies to every business of one or a jillion employees, every private sector, public sector organization. And, and, and as I said, I love the awful term compassionomics, because if you use a term like that, then the MBAs who are running the hospitals can't <laughs> dodge that bullet. You know, when you wrote it in your language, wow. dude, read it. But it's a That's great here with I, have, I have two comments, if, if uh, and this will be my final comments. $25, buy their book, not mine. <laughs> I, yeah, we'll, we'll add them to your book. My last two comments. First, thank you for looking the business world in the eye for 43 years and reminding us we can always do better. And I will continue to work on my eulogy virtues, but it may be one resume virtue that will be mentioned at my funeral, and it'll be that's the guy who wrote Tom Forward's <laughs> Tom uh, Forward for Tom Tom Tom's book. So I greatly it's an it was an honor, privilege, and a gift of a lifetime that you gave me, where I could add a bit of my thoughts to what is your masterpiece. So thank you so much, sir. Um, I, I'll never forget it. Well, yeah. you are far, far, far too kind. You'll never forget it. And now my time span's shorter than yours. I won't, I won't never forget. No, I, I really do. I really do, you know, appreciate it. I, uh, and, you know, our conversations began and then we had an in-person conversation in, in Boston and so on. And uh, I wanted the book to be introduced by someone who believes this stuff with the same intensity that I do. And both of us probably have that third, third grade age nine graduation certificate somewhere. And, and that's, and that's all we needed. But I, my, my appreciation is e equally, equally deep. And, and I also practically speaking, like the fact that it comes from someone who is associated forget the fact that salesforce is a good company but with a very high technology company which says hey this stuff is as relevant in the age of For salesforce sure. google as For sure. basically it ever was before maybe more i mean my point and i think it's you know for sure you guys do some pretty my company stuff. lives by your commandments yeah. for sure yeah. for sure yeah absolutely Ray, I am speechless. I have nothing to say. We're here with Tom Peters, chief provocateur of Tom Peters Company and author of Excellence Now, Extreme Humanism. Check out the workshops. Check out the book. It's fresh off the press. And you can follow Twitter on Twitter at Tom underscore Peters. Thank you so much for launching your book here. Thank well, you, sir. Thank you. We have so much more to discuss and we'll have you back very soon or as soon as you want to come back. So thank you so much, sir. Thank yeah, you. No, thank, thank you guys. I mean, uh, they're literally no baloney. There are no two people who I would rather have had this 
conversation about the launch of the book with and you two guys. We've had some good fun and, you know, maybe a little teeny bit at the margin. We've followed Johnny Ives and made the world just a teeny, 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 weeny bit better. It has. Excellent. It has. Well, hey, Thank you, sir. Please catch us for our regularly scheduled Friday, 11 a.m. Pacific Disrupt TV broadcast. You'll definitely see us there and uh, we'll see you there. Thanks, everybody, and have a wonderful week. Bye, everyone.